Okay, before the break, we review the message of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses uh, 12 through 26, which we say that it is that unity and diversity are essential in the body of Christ, that is the Church of Christ. We reviewed briefly the second responsibility that comes from that message, which is that you should focus on facts stated about the members of the Church of Christ. We say there are five facts. The last week we considered the first two. The first, if you recall, is that Church of Christ consists of several members. And the second is that no believer can be separated from the body of Christ which led to the implication of the security of the believer's salvation in Christ. So with that, we moved into the third fact, which is where we began in the first half. The third fact is simply that each member is necessary for the functioning of the local church of Christ or the universal church of Christ. That each member is necessary for the functioning of the church of Christ. Now this, of course, implies that there has to be a diversity in spiritual gifts because each person has a spiritual gift in a local church that is necessary for that local church to carry out his missionary work or his or a ministry work, either way, just the functioning of the church. We derive this because of the first rhetorical question of the first part of 1 Corinthians 12, 17, when it says, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And so we went through that and looked at other things. Then after going through order, we came back, came to the fourth fact. Now the fourth fact that we stated is that God places each member of the church, uh, of the church to function as he wants. He places each member to function as he wants. And that is based on verse 18. However, we went through in introducing verse 18 to show that, yes, there is a phrase, a Greek phrase that begins verse 18 that enables us to know that we are moving from something unreal to something real. Because all the conditions the apostle, uh, apostle had used in his analogy so far have been things unreal. But now he's moving to something that is real. Which, in this case, something that is real uh, is that God has placed or he put all members of the body of Christ the way he wants them to be, in whatever local church it is, in this particular case. So, this is based on the fact that we have in verse 18, it says, God has arranged the paths in the body, every one of them, as he wanted them to be. Here again, we indicated that the apostle is concerned with the church of Christ than with the body parts. 
So, this we can see, as we said, by looking at the words arranged. So, we began to look at the Greek word translated arranged. And uh, we've noticed some of its meaning. But we noted that the uh, Greek word can mean to appoint or to assign someone to a task or a function. And it is with that that uh, we said the apostle used it to refer to his assignment in Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. And that's where we begin the second session. It is, and of this gospel, I was appointed. That's the same Greek word translated, arranged in the passage we're studying in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, and of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. Now, the word may also mean to put aside, to even store up or to deposit as it is used in the instruction of, of Apostle Paul to the Corinthians regarding how to get ready for the contribution of money or gifts that is to be delivered to believers in Judea by weekly putting aside an amount of money a person has determined as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. It reads, On the first day, of every week. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So here, uh, Greek word is really uh, more or less to put aside. Here is translated set aside, but put aside. Now the Greek word may mean to make in the sense of making someone something. As in the instruction of Apostle Paul in his farewell address to the elders of the church of Ephesus who have been put to the opposition of being overseers of believers in, that, in, the, in Ephesus by the Holy Spirit as stated in, in Acts Chapter 20, verse 28. Acts, chapter 20, verse 28. Hold on to Acts, because the next passage is also in Acts. Acts 20, verse 28 reads, Keep watch over yourselves, and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Here, of course, uh, made is the same Greek word translated arranged. Now, the word may also mean to fix 
or to establish or even to sit. As the word is used in response of the Lord Jesus to his disciples after his resurrection regarding the time God has set to restore the kingdom to Israel. I imagine today many prophetic teachers they are all speculating about this. And my answer to them is exactly what we have in this passage. Because as soon as Christ resurrected, they will say, is he going to return the, the kingdom now? Yes, the time is coming when Israel will have uh, his rightful leader over, over it. But it's not yet now. And this is what they So they saw Christ resurrected with the axe. What is that going to happen? Acts verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 7 is what the Lord answered. Acts chapter 1 verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, all these people speculating, they're wasting their time. You don't speculate. It's not up to us to know. God only knows, and he'll do it whenever he wants to do. Whenever he wants Christ to come. Anyway, in our passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, though, the word is used in the sense of to set in proper place to sit in proper place. Although it's translated arranged in the NIV of verse 18, 1 Corinthians 12, we're starting. It really means to sit in proper place. To sit in proper place. Now the things that are set in the proper place, in the analogy Apostle Paul used in the passage we are considering, are given in the phrase of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18 that we're studying. Look at that phrase again. It says, the parts in the body. Those are the things set in the proper place. Now the parts of the human body are many. But the apostle was probably thinking of the external parts of the human body. Now we say this because he had mentioned directly four external parts of the body and indirectly, two, two external parts of the body. Now the parts he mentioned directly are the foot, hand, ear, and eye. And those he mentioned indirectly are nose and leg. Indirectly. He didn't mention them directly. Now we said this, he mentioned nose indirectly because of the question of 1 Corinthians 12, 17 when he says, where would the sense of smell be? Now that word smell then implies that the apostle was thinking of the nose. Now the mention of leg, which again we say is indirectly, is implied in reference to foot because the foot is attached to the leg. So anyhow, or anyway, the apostle indicates that God has placed in place various parts of the body 
as we read again First Corinthians 12 verse 18 it reads every one of them just as he wanted them to be now the expression to be here is really not found in the uh, Greek since a little translation of the Greek reads something like this each one of them in the body just as he wanted now the new English translation uh, reads this way each of the members in the body just as he decided why the new reverse standard version reads this way each one of them as he chose as he chose indicating that our English versions use different meanings for the Greek verb use here. So you've seen, we've seen the word chose, uh, wanted, decided. Now the truth is the word wanted of the NIV is translated from a Greek verb that may mean to wish or to have a desire or to want. That is to live, I mean to have a desire for something as Apostle Paul used it to describe what he wanted Roman believers to do in Romans chapter 16 verse 19. Romans chapter 16 verse 19. Romans chapter 16 verse 19 reads, Everyone has heard about your obedience. So I am full of joy over you. Now, you notice what I said long time ago. And I repeat that. I don't know of any father or a mother. I mean, when I say father or mother, these days you have to be careful because there are a whole lot of people who have given birth. They are not father, they are not mother. I mean, I know they, <laughs> yes, they fathered or mothered somebody now, but they are not mothers because they are not doing, carrying out the function of a mother or a function of a father. But whenever you have a father or a mother, that father or that mother will never be satisfied with the performance of the children. Never. Doesn't mean it's not appreciative of what they're doing. It's just never satisfied. Because keep moving the goalposts for them. That is to say, they, even the parents don't know that, they recognize there's such thing as perfection. And God expects us to reach there. So that is why, even when you think you're doing well, say, but this, but that. Never say, okay, you've arrived. We just keep moving the goalposts because we haven't reached that uh, uh, finite goal. So that's what the apostle says. Look at what he says. I am full of joy over you. He said, well, close it. That's it. <laughs> but nothing less. He said, babe. He said, oh, oh, I thought you were full of joy. Why are you talking about something else? Anyway. But I want you to be wise about what is good. And innocent about what is evil. So always moving the post. That's what I'm saying to all of us. Which is never a time you can be saying, Well, I have arrived. If you reach that spot and you're still on this planet, something is wrong. 
Because once you reach that place, you're gone. You're not going to be here with us. This is still for those of us straight struggling to get there. And when we get to where the Lord matures us, out we go. Anyway, the word may mean to have something in mind for oneself, and so means to propose or again to will or to decide. It is with the meaning to decide that the word is used in an IV to describe Jesus' decision to travel to Galilee from a spot where he was, according to John chapter 1, verse 43. John chapter 1, verse 43. John chapter 1, verse 43. It is the next day, Jesus decided. That's a Greek word. Tell all. He said, then the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now it is with the meaning to wish that Apostle Paul used our Greek word in his question to the Galatians of desiring to be enslaved back to what they have been freed from. In Galatians chapter 4 verse 9. Galatians Chapter 4, verse 9. Galatians chapter 4, verse 9 reads, But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Here, our word is struggling with. Now, the Greek word may mean to choose, to choose. As Apostle Paul used it to describe those God has chosen to reveal Christ. As we read in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Colossians. And hold on to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 reads, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of, his, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here the Greek word, is translated chosen. That means it has the meaning to choose. Now the Greek word may mean to take pleasure in something in view of its being desirable and so means to enjoy or to take pleasure in something. As Apostle Paul used it to describe false individuals in Colosseum that took pleasure in false humility and in the worship of angels, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Colossians 
Colossians. Chapter 2, verse 18. It is, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility, that's a Greek word, delights in here, who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen. And his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. Now the Greek word may mean to have an opinion. To think something to be so. That is of course to maintain that something that is contrary to the true state of affairs. As it is used to describe the false teachers whose opinion is described in Second Peter Chapter 3, verse 5. Second Peter. Chapter 3, verse 5. It reads, They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed, and the earth was formed out of water, and by water. Now the clause, they deliberately forget, is literally, in maintaining this, it escapes them. So they have this, you know, they forgot everything about this reality of creation, and they say, yeah, Christ has gone, he's not coming back, and all that. Anyway, the range of meanings that we have uh, considered indicates that the translations of the New English Translation and the New Revised Standard Version of First Corinthians 12, verse 18, using the words decided and chose, are supported. So that's one of those things I, I, I say you have to be careful just because one English version reads differently. Look at the words may really be saying the same thing, but you, you just they choose different uh, words. Now, so that's supported as a Greek verb, as we have seen, then has that uh, the meanings used by these uh, English versions. Nonetheless, in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18, the Greek word means to have something in mind for a purpose, so that the sense of the word is to want strongly or to desire. To want strongly or to desire. Now, so be that then as he may, what the apostle conveyed in his analogy is that the placement of the parts of the human body in their Respective locations is according to what God desired or wanted for a purpose. Now his purpose, of course, although not directly stated, is implied, which is that so that the parts of the body will function 
in a way that contributes to the overall functioning of the body of a person on this planet. You see, the hand was placed in the body, the exact location that it needed to be as the other parts of the body with respect to them. Now, if any of the parts of the body has been placed at another location, the human body would definitely have a problem. Now, although the apostle was not concerned with human anatomy per se, in that he focused on external uh, parts of the body, but that does not change the fact that God properly placed parts of the body to function in a way to cause the human body to function in the most efficient way that is possible. If your hand has been placed a different place, we will not function efficiently as possible. Anyway, so what I'm saying is this. Can you imagine if the head was placed not the, at the exact location we have it? What do you think will happen? And think about it. The experts tell us that the most important organ of the human body, as they, as they tell us, is the brain. That's what they say. Now the brain, with the nerve system, controls and coordinates everything in the body. Now the brain is housing in our head. Now if the head had been placed at a different location on the part of the body, it will certainly make it difficult for other parts of the body to be efficiently controlled. Now not to think about gravity. If the head was placed below certain parts of the body, uh, it would be difficult to send those signals. I know it can, God can do whatever he wants to do. But the signals will take a little longer to do, or to send out. But by sending, everything is going following the, more or less the law of gravity as we think about it. So that uh, the head was the place exactly where it needs to be to contain everything that needs to send as signal. Now it's not only that the body uh, parts were placed at the right location that God wanted to ensure smooth function of the body, but even the size of each part of the body is important. The size. Now you see, if the hand was longer or shorter than it should be, it would be difficult for humans to operate properly or efficiently. Interestingly, interesting though, those involved in the study of what is called artistic anatomy, they have given us approximate ratios of the various parts of the body to the head. That's what they used to measure, the head. They say, for example, they say that the approximate height of an average person is about seven and a half times the head height. That's what they say, approximately. 
Now the leg, they say it's about four times the head height. Now, of course, our interest in mentioning uh, these observations of experts is simply to say that God designed the human body or body parts in such a way that they fit together to ensure cohesiveness when the various parts carry out their functions. It is does not surprising though that the psalmist writing under the Holy Spirit as he watched and meditated on this part of the body and other parts and so on that he had to say what he said recorded in Psalm 139 verse 14. Psalm 139, verse 14. You may put your marker there. Uh, in Psalm, of course, uh, because uh, after I go to one passage, we'll come back to Psalms. Psalms 139, verse 14. This is the psalmist. After contemplating, looking at the body, he was amazed of all this. He said, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Looking at the human body, everything about you. Just watch it. A little part of us go wrong. We'll be in pain, terrible pain. Just a simple path. Yet, that's what's needed. God connects all these things so that every part has its function to carry out. No part is insignificant. Because if you don't have that part, you realize you can function well. Now, it's in any event, we should recognize that the apostle was not really concerned about Human anatomy, as he is concerned with the body of Christ, that is with the church of Christ. So we need to apply then what he wrote about what God did with parts of the body to the church of Christ. Now we have stated that the analogy of the body and body parts the apostle has been using is intended to address the church and members of the body of the church of Christ or the body of Christ. Now this being the case when the apostle indicated that God placed parts of the body as he pleased. His intention is that we understand that God has given spiritual gifts to various Believers, as he pleased, he is the, uh, the God who knew his plan and is at working from the beginning to the end. As of course, the uh, prophet Isaiah reminds us in Isaiah 46, verse 10. Isaiah. 46, verse 10. 
Isaiah 46, verse 10. Isaiah 46, verse 10 reads, I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come? I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Furthermore, God does what pleases him in keeping with his nature, as we are informed by the psalmist in Psalm 135, verse 6. Psalm 135, verse 6. Psalm 135, verse 6. Psalm 135, verse 6 reads, The Lord does whatever pleases Him in the heavens and on earth, in the seas and all their depths. So when you put the fact that he knows the end from the beginning and he does everything that pleases him, when you put these two facts together about God, we should recognize him that he gave, uh, that what he gave, uh, gives to each local church of Christ, the spiritual gifts that are necessary for the local church to accomplish his purpose. In effect, we are saying, no local church will be without the gifts that are necessary to carry out God's plan that is pleasing to him. No local church will be without it. If it's local church of Christ. So, as he places each part of the body to function in support of the whole body, so he has placed believers in a local church with spiritual gifts that are needed to carry out his plan. Now the implication is that we should not think that anyone has any spiritual gifts because of anything on the part of the individual, but because God has seen fit to give such a person the gift whatever that, uh, that happened to be, in order to carry out the function of the local church in accordance with his plan for that particular local church. I am saying that really we should not think of our spiritual gifts in a way that will indicate that it is because of us or because of anything on our part that we have them. As the Holy Spirit caution believers in Rome as we read in Romans chapter 12 verse 3. Romans chapter 12 verse 3. Romans chapter 12 verse 3 reads for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly 
than you ought. But rather, think of yourself with uh, sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So in any event, a fourth fact then, to help you understand the importance of the unity and diversity in the body of Christ is that it is God who places each member of the church in the church to function as he wants. So this brings us to the fifth fact that we need to consider. A fifth fact then, to help you understand the importance of unity and diversity in the body of Christ is that there will have been no church of Christ as we know it if it consists of only one member. There will be no church of Christ as we know it today. It is this fact that is conveyed in 1 Corinthians where we are studying chapter 2 verse 19. Look at that question. If they were all one part, where would the body be? Now, Apostle Paul was very emphatic in conveying the fact the Holy Spirit wants us to get from verse 19. He was very emphatic. Now, we say this because the Greek phrase that begins verse 19, that literally may be translated, but if, but if, as we, that's the way it's translated in the Amplified Bible. Now it is true that the translators of the NIV, they not translate the Greek phrase literally as, but if, in the passage that we're looking at, but they did so elsewhere. For example, they, they are in the apostles' arguments dealing with God's faithfulness, that's the way they translated it in Romans chapter 3, verse 5. Romans Romans Chapter 3, verse 5. It is. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us. I am using a human Argument. Here the Greek phrase that began verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 12 is translated here, but if. Now the same literal translation we stated is adopted by the translators of the NIV in Paul's argument, again in support of bodily resurrection. In the same 1 Corinthians we are looking at, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 12. First Corinthians chapter fifteen verse twelve. 
he reads, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 reads, But if, that's how they translate, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? Now this aside, we contend though that the literal translation of the Greek phrase that begins 1 Corinthians 12 verse 19 is but if, that's the literal translation. Now the reason for the literal translation is because of the two Greek particles used in the verse. The first particle is a Greek word that has several usages. For example, it could be used as a marker of an indirect equation where it may be translated simply that. It can also be used as a marker of a condition, real, hypothetical, actual, or contrary to fact. Now, we see an example where this particle is used to express an unreal or contrary to fact condition in which, I mean, what the Lord said about the Jews of his time voiced out about their forefathers as stated in Matthew chapter 23 verse 30. Matthew Matthew chapter 23 verse 30 It is And you say if we had lived in the days of our forefathers we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. In other words, you know, it's always easy to look at the failures of others, especially those in the past, and say we wouldn't have done that when in many cases we're doing worse than they did. Yet that's what the Lord is saying. Is yes. So the Jews here stated what is contrary to fact. In that, for one thing, they were uh, not living at the time of their forefathers. So what they are saying is contrary to fact. But even their rejection of Christ proves otherwise anyway. Now it is in the sense of stating what is contrary then to fact that Apostle Paul used the Greek particle in a passage of study. That is, First Corinthians 12 verse 19 that we are looking at. That's the first particle. Now, the second particle is one that I mentioned in the first half, the Greek particle the, the. We said it's used in uh, uh, many ways, but often it's translated but to signify contrast or sometimes it may be translated now to indicate uh, you're linking one part of a segment to another part in your narrative, whatever that happened to be. 
Now, the question of course is really how to translate it in our present verse. Majority of our English versions, they are not translated. They just didn't translate. Probably because they considered it as being used to continue the apostles' analogy or simply to focus on a different aspect of his illustration or to resume what the apostle stated in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 17 before digressing to what he stated in verse 18 that deals with something that is real. Now some English versions translated this and such as the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Now the International Standard Version rendered it with the word now although I'm not quite certain what the, the translators meant when they use the word now, since now could mean under present circumstances or as a consequence of the facts. So I don't know which way they went. So anyway, it is probably that the apostle used it then in an emphatic manner to further explain his analogy regarding the importance of diversity in unity so that it can be it could be translated something like in fact in fact to convey that he was making a point that should get to the reader or should get the readers uh, or hearers attention regarding what he was about to state which is in a sense an important point that drives home his point in the use of analogy. Now, of course, uh, it is also possible that the apostle used it in an emphatic resumption of what he said in verse 17. Now, be that as he may, the apostle introduced a conditional clause necessary to emphasize his point of the necessity of diversity in unity. Again, the conditional clause, where we're looking at 1 Corinthians 12, 19, is again, if they were all one part. Again, the use of if is, as we have already indicated, is simply to convey that it is contrary to fact. Whatever he's saying is contrary to fact. In effect, Based on the fact that the apostle used the word if to introduce something contrary to fact, we should, we could fully translate the Greek uh, conditional clause this way. But if they were all one part and they are not, it's talking about if they body, if it was just one part. So we can fully say, translate it, but if they were all one part, and they are not. So in that way, we convey the sense that what the apostle stated is contrary to fact regarding body parts. So he's trying to convey to us. As far as believers, we have to understand, first of all, if they're just if there's if the church considered one just one member, then what do we have church for? 
So he's trying to get us to see. Either he's using all kinds of ways to just make that point. It's important that the church have unity. It's important for diversity to exist. That's just, he's using every way he can to just make that point. So that there's no way we should miss it. Because of the analogies that he keeps using. Anyway, now the sentence in verse 19, look at that sentence, they were. That sentence, they were, refers to the various parts the apostle used in the preceding verses to communicate his point regarding the importance of diversity in unity. So we are saying that the pronoun they here refers to the various parts of the body the apostle already mentioned, such as the hand, foot, ear, and the eyes. So these are things they, when he says they were. Now, having stated what is contrary to fact, the apostle then conveyed that if the condition he stated that was contrary to fact was indeed a fact, we will not have a body as we do. Again, just look at human body. We have all these parts. If we had just one part, what should we look like? Will we look like human beings? Could we even function? That's all he's trying to get us. So it is this that he presented in the question again where he said, Where would the body be? Where would the body be? Now, this question is really meant to convey that there will not be a body as we know it if only there was one part to a body. Now, the New Living Translation captures the sense of what the Apostle intended to convey in their translation. This is how they translated it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. See, that's the way they tried to capture what that question is. They didn't translate it as a question because it's a rhetorical question. So they translated that way. Now, the contemporary English version also captured the sense of what the apostle meant by interpreting the verse instead of translating it, as the translators render the verse this way. This is the contemporary English version reads this way. A body isn't really a body unless there's more than one part. That's the way they translate it. Again, let me read that. A body isn't really a body unless there's more than one point. So, the point of the apostle is that if there were no many parts to a body, the body as we know it would not exist. Of course, as we have uh, indicated, his point is that there will be no such thing as the church of Christ if it only consisted of one member with one 
or even more spiritual gifts. If just one member, and that person may have all the spiritual gifts listed, it still wouldn't be the church of Christ. That's his point. So hence then, all he's trying to uh, get to us is that he takes all the members of the church of Christ with their various diverse spiritual gifts to have the church of Christ on his planet. Thus is his point. That's what all we've been studying this few uh, weeks of study now. It's simply on this issue of he's trying to make that point, keep bringing it in about the necessity of unity and diversity. So summing up what we have considered so far then, you, you see now that the, the second responsibility regarding the message that we stated, which is that unity and diversity are essential, are essential in the body of Christ, that is the church of Christ. That second responsibility is that you should focus on facts stated about members of the church of Christ. We gave five facts. The first is that the church of Christ consists of several members. The second is that no believer can be separated from the body of Christ which guarantees you, which assures you that once you're in that body, you can never be taken away. That is to say, if you are saved, your salvation is as secured as it can come, as God is secured. The thought is that each member is necessary for the functioning of the local church of Christ or the universal church of Christ. In other words, each person here is necessary for this local church to function. Each person. You may think, no one, what are you contributing? You're doing a lot, and you may not know that. But you're contributing one way or the other. I mean, I know that we look at physical things like cleaning here and uh, you know, taking care of other things, yeah. But there are other things that you may be doing that you don't really aware. God has made it silent, yet you are contributing to this local church in ways that you probably will not recognize. But as long as you're part of this body and you function, learn the word, imply it, under the feeling of the spirit, You'll be doing this tough fact. Or the fourth one, which is that um, it is God who places each member of the church in the church to function as he wants. So you are functioning the way God wants you, as far again as part of this local church. The fifth is that there will have been no church of Christ as we know it if it consists only one member. Can you imagine if there's only one member? We won't be started, would we? I mean, what would that be like? It just 
it wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense, really. So, that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to get to us, using these analogies, to convince us, to make us think, and recognize that we need each other. Each other is important in this body of Christ. Now, that is going to move us to one of the things that we're going to see, that some of us are doing well, some of us are not doing well. Is knowing that because each member is needed, that we need to reach out to each member. But we'll deal with that next week. So the issue though is that you become aware that you have a role to play in this local church. And you better be asking yourself, am I fulfilling that role? Whatever that happened to be, it's between you and the Lord. Again, like I said, it don't have to be something outrageous. It's a simple thing, like I said, like just clean a church. That would be a simple thing. But you are needed to do that in order for this local church to function. So, whatever function that you find yourself carrying out in this local church, be assured that's part of what God has already decided that you should be or you should function under when he made you a part of this local church. Let's pray. As we close our study this morning, there may be someone here or someone listening over the internet. You're really not a part of the body of Christ yet because you're dead. Which means if you die now, you go straight to the lake of fire. But here's the good news. God loves you. No one will ever have loved you like Jesus Christ did. Because he showed you his love. And that when God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and God the Son got together to deal with our destiny, the Lord Jesus Christ was a member of the Godhead selected to come to take on human body and undergo the pain, the sufferings of humans so that in the human body he could go and die on the cross. So when he came here he took on a human body via a virgin birth and then underwent through the experiences of human and much more. And during this time he thought he did miracles to prove one fact that he is the son of God. He made several claims. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He also said, I am the life and resurrection. If you believe in me, even if you die, you will still live. He packed that up. How? Well, he, when they came and arrested him, they took him, made a mock trial of him, took him, and placed him on that cross at Golgotha. They drove those nails through his body. He didn't say what, he didn't complain. The pain was unbearable, he still didn't complain. But the last three hours on that cross, he let out that cry, Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was forsaken that you may be brought in. It was forsaken that you may have life. Now, 
to prove his claim. They took him down from the cross, buried him. Three days later, he came out of that grave. And that proves what he said, that he is life and resurrection. That if you believe in him, even if you die, you still live. So how are you going to live forever? That's why the Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. How again? What I used to believe. The Bible says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Believing in him, you have life through his name. If you believe that he died on that cross, rose again the third day for you, no matter how horrible you have been, doesn't matter what your sin has been, even if you think that you're such a good person, although, truly speaking, everything about you stinks before God. Because not the righteous things that you do can really impress God. Everything about you stinks. So, only your faith in Christ that will be necessary to what claim whatever you have sinned or whatever you have done wrong. All these can be wiped clean by a simple act of faith in Christ because the heavy lifting has been done by Jesus Christ who gave himself for you. So believe in him and you have a, eternal life. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God the Holy Spirit continue to impress upon us the importance of the unity and diversity in your church. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen.